The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Hello there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. It is I, your host, your bon viveur upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as I am every week, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this evening? That's a fake word. <laughs> it's a French word, my friend. <laughs> I'm expanding. Uh, already 13 episodes deep, I have run out of English words, or I'm coming close to the bottom of the barrel English-wise. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm mixing it up in an effort to get that fuck you Duolingo sponsorship money. <laughs> I feel like I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real deja vu all over again in terms of More fucking... French, Jesus. Oh my god, we have had some tech issues this evening, but uh, it is only fitting for the the calibre of professional wrestling that we will be talking about on the show. Lee, before we get into the thunder of it all, we have a couple of WCW adjacent updates, and the main one that I can think of right now is... um, Tony Schiavone, our our beloved lead commentator on Thunder Road at the moment, uh, is going to be back on TNT in the autumn, uh, working for All Elite Wrestling. Yeah, delighted for Tony. Um, he was was been linked with uh, WWE, and then seemed to just sign with AEW out of the blue. It's it's a great get for them because I think he flies under the radar being an MLW, which is sort of this promotion that is very widely accessible and yet doesn't really have the level of buzz you would think for the amount of eyes that could potentially be on it. Yeah, I mean, um, we're very deep in the Twitter bubble, and not a lot of people talk about MLW. Yeah, like I know a few people like Barry and the like do try to keep up on the the weekly show uh, that's available on YouTube. But um, yeah, it's kind of I've dipped in and out, I I will confess. But um, yeah, Shivani has returned uh, kind of uh, in an announcing capacity there and has really kind of shown that when when that guy has a passion and actually cares, um, he's still very, very talented. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I'd much rather have Shivani than Jim Ross on, on commentary on my TV show. I was going to say Alex Marvez, uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, look, you know, classic Brian Alvarez quote, he seems like a nice guy, but uh, <laughs> and I, I don't think the announced position at AEW is, is really cut out for him. No. Um, the, the one other, the elephant in the room, Lee, I guess you could say, um, a thing that we will talk about once and then we'll put a moratorium on because until they fix it, we're going to be complaining about it on every show otherwise. Uh, and that is the brand spanking new WWE Network. God, it fucking sucks. <laughs> it really, really sucks. Um, yeah, watching 
the 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 first couple of shows uh on that network uh i've tried playstation 4 i've tried xbox one um they are both crap um i had a little bit of trouble i think it launched right before SummerSlam weekend so i watched takeover and there were some hitches for sure i, I think takeover 25 when remember the standalone takeover yeah i think that was the first one wasn't it wasn't that the first oh, was show? It? so it's been around that long maybe, maybe i could be wrong yeah um but regardless uh the first time i noticed a lot of problems with it was uh doing these shows uh these next two thunder shows mm. we were supposed to do and um as i said on twitter if you uh are having trouble trying to stream a 21 year old wrestling program there's a good chance that your streaming service sucks um because it's not like thunder was recorded in hd that there's a phenomenal amount of data that is getting streamed that it's just throttling the bandwidth or anything like that no it just straight up sucks no it's just um, ju- just like everything in wwe this these days it's just half erst yeah. and half tattoo and you were illuminating me with a detail i had actually forgotten uh, and that was the, the the main kind of um motivation behind this facelift for the network is the fact that they are no longer being supported under the hood by the MLB network mm-hmm. who were providing the, uh, the the streaming tech to them uh, to this point. Yeah, they've gone with some other company, I can't remember the name, but basically instead of sticking with the tried and tested MLB network who had been doing their own streaming service for a couple of years I think previously before even WWE got on board they've yeah. now gone with this new crowd who are probably just cheaper and it shows yeah absolutely um and i i just well i i guess they've kind of they're sort of by the fact that they hang so much of their um their business retention um i know they got those fat tv deals but in terms of like retention of customers and that reliable bit of income coming in on the reg uh they they will need to fix that at mm. some point oh, for um, sure, yeah. and hopefully it's sooner rather than later thankfully we record these shows in clusters um so it gives them a few weeks before we have to put ourselves through it again um but yeah that the network sucks if anybody has found a platform that it's pretty reliable on as i said uh, we've both tried ps4 uh, and i've tried xbox one as well uh, and android tablet and none were great android tablet was probably the best of the bunch but uh, i like to watch my thunder on a big screen lee especially now that i try to decipher promos by turning on closed caption that's insan- um, insanity uh, well that's the kind of dedication i have to thunder road my friend um but yeah if anybody can has found a platform that works properly uh please tweet us at wcw thunder pod i know rovert had tweeted that it works on roku but neither of us have roku no um so if anything besides roku ps4 xbox one or android tablet is working for you please do let us know uh, our, our rovert so could send us some rokus <laughs> yeah we'd appreciate that um but yeah, before we get into the thunder of it all, my friend, uh, it is time for... I, I can't believe that 13 episodes in we haven't named this feature, but that probably reflects the level of, of effort that World Championship Wrestling are putting into things, that uh, we, we've had this feature pretty much since like maybe episode four or five, and uh, haven't come up with a name for it yet. But uh, please do tell me, Lee, what uh, beverage, adult beverage, have you paired your thunder with this evening? So as we discussed before we start recording, I was at Trinity Brawl on the Friday past, um, and I made the mistake of drinking some very, very, very cheap beer, mm-hmm. and I drank a good quantity of it, uh, <laughs> and I, I felt that pain on Saturday morning. 
So, for tonight, I have instead gone for what I call my comfort beer. The beer that I can just drink and have no effect, and it goes down very easy, very smooth. It's inexpensive as well, but it's a good bit more expensive than the piss I was drinking on Friday. Mm. I have gone for a couple of bottles of Miller Genuine Draft. Ooh, MGD. MGD. That was actually a fun day of fact. That was the first beer that I, I kind of regularly drank uh, when I turned 18 because it was in the prime era of one euro per beer bottle in mm-hmm. a lot of off licenses. Uh, I, I got 20 bottles for, I think it was 16 euro. <laughs> you've, d- you've done well there, my friend. <laughs> you've, you've done quite well. Um, I have taken another tack entirely. Um and this is a fairly risky endeavor, and it's one that played out over Twitter last night as I was shopping oh, no. to uh, to stock up. And you called me out, you dared me to do it, so I have done it. Uh, I have picked up a beer that's not quite a beer. It's called Irish Wit, and it's a limited edition brew uh, from the fine people at O'Hara's uh, Brewery. And it is a mix of, uh, let's see... It's an O'Hara's triple malt beer with a touch of Tullamore Dew triple blend whiskey. My God. Um, Somehow, it is still only 4%. I have no idea how that works. No idea. That's missing a decimal point or something. Yeah. uh, But on the off chance it is shite, I have a blue moon beside me. (laughs) In reserve. Mm. I was actually, I was trying to get really fancy and i might just do it for like a big pay-per-view i'm opening this as i'm talking um for a big pay-per-view i tried um because i was out at the weekend i had an old-fashioned oh okay which was like my second old-fashioned uh of the last few weeks and i forgot i really really like old fashions um for those of you who don't know that's usually it's bourbon bitters and uh like a a bit of sugar and a bit of a, a like a an orange peel or whatever in it um as a really good drink i don't normally drink bourbon like yourself but uh when i do uh it's generally an old-fashioned but uh, i walked around like the most pretentious sack that had ever walked around my hometown today <laughs> trying to find anywhere in town that sold angostura bitters because that's probably like if you're gonna put bitters in a drink uh, in a in that's old-fashioned the one to go for that is the one to go for um so uh yeah nowhere in my hometown but i know somewhere in dublin that sells it and i am going to be up there next week so uh for our next recording or for a big pay-per-view i might keep that one in reserve and have something fancy Mm, sounds like you have Uh, something planned for spring stampede yeah indeed my friend indeed let me just try this first so that i don't like choke to death halfway through the thing geez that's not bad actually yeah now i'm gonna have to go and get one Fuck. Yeah, I like that. They sell them in Duns. <laughs> um, couldn't find them anywhere else. But yeah, that's actually quite nice. There's a nice little aftertaste to it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Thunder episode 13 is what we're here to discuss. Uh, this this may on... not be quite so nice. Uh, no, it won't. It certainly won't go down as smooth. Um, aired on April 9th, 1998 from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and it's funny because they announced at the start of it that... Um, Tallahassee is the state capital of Florida and it's one of those things that um, it made me realise and you're almost certainly the same where I know an, an alarming amount of US geography from professional wrestling and professional wrestling alone. Way too much. Way, way too much. 
Yeah, I, there are so many towns in America that I should not know the name of, but I do because some obscure wrestler hailed from there, or I remember a pay-per-view that took place there. Or Yeah, and I'm already seeing it with, like, Connor, who's only six, and he's, like, mentioned these American towns to his teachers, and it's just like, oh, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're asking, like, how do you know that? He's like, ah, oh, such and such is from there. I was like, oh. Um, I remember when I went to San Francisco a few years ago, and like, you go to the cow was like, oh. but this is the thing. She goes, "Is there anywhere around California that you'd like to go and visit?" And immediately, the two places in—I know California is huge, and one of them is very far away. But the two places in my head that I had thought of were the Cow Palace and Reseda. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like Reseda is a good—I think it's like a three-hour flight up to LA or something like some crazy God. like that. Like it is a real fucking ways away. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like I, sh- I shouldn't know this much geography, and that shouldn't be why I know it. If you were a um, true WWE fan, you would have went for Anaheim, California, so you could go go yeah. see the arena where Shawn Michaels' Bret Hart happened. <laughs> I thought when you said Anaheim was going to be to go see the uh, the arena in which there was McMahon in every corner. Oh God, was that the same? <laughs> it was. I think it was Anaheim, wasn't it? Was that WrestleMania two thousand? Wasn't Anaheim twelve? That was the yeah the Arrowhead Pond. Um, let me just. I'm gonna have to. Google I know we it. don't. I know we don't tend to look up things, but that is genuinely going to bother me if I don't look it up. Um, yeah, Anaheim, the Honda Center. Was that the same building? Um, ba boom, uh, It was originally the Anaheim Arena, con- finished in 1993. Okay. That may have yeah, been... Yeah, Arrowhead Pond was WrestleMania 12. Yeah. And that's not the same arena. Ah. Is it? I'm just trying... I'm just trying to... Oh, yeah. No, it was. It's the same building. Yeah. Man. Arrowhead Water originally paid $15 million for the naming rights starting October 1993. <laughs> I'd never, never realised they had a WrestleMania in the same place four years apart. Yeah, Anna McMahon in every corner, Lee. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> Sadly, I do. <laughs> Historically significant. Um, but anyway, that's somewhat off the point. Uh, we opened the show with a tease from uh, Tony Schiavone. Uh, Never has the issue of supremacy been such a hot issue in the NWO. To be honest, Lee, literally every single episode of Thunder, the issue of supremacy within the NWO has been pretty much the hot issue at the start of every program. I'm pretty sure this... This uh, struggle for control of the NWO has been going on longer than this podcast. And possibly, like, almost as long as the struggle for power between WCW and the NWO. Um, We are 10 days out from Spring Stampede, and Tony opens the show with that tease, and by saying that Savage is injured... Uh, and Lee adds that there is some confusion as to how how it has happened. At this point, before we even exactly see what happened... Uh, Stagger Lee starts reading off this list of injuries that have seemingly happened to Savage. Uh, uh, I honestly thought Randy Savage got like just left for dead with this list of injuries. <laughs> it sounded like the man was on life support. It said like he had a concussion, significant shoulder damage, and was it knee ligament trouble as well? Torn ligaments in the knee or something like this? Torn ligaments in the knee. Um, Brain insists, and and this is true. If you know the that the tenor of the man that is Randy Savage, that uh, it doesn't matter how 
how injured Savage is, he will be there to stick it to Hogan. At this point, then, we get a replay. Now, if I was directing the programme, I probably would have shown the incident and then them talking about it, but, you know, however, at least they showed it, Considering they said they did not know how this happened. Uh, and we have uh, in our run of Thunder the uh, the first time there has been one of the very popular uh, WCW tropes, and that is a mystery vehicle. Um, we will we will hear all about Hummers and the like uh, as the years go on. But uh, right now, it's the Dodge Viper. What was this a mystery vehicle though? Was it really? What was it though? Yes. Uh, for something that seems patently obvious who was behind it there's an awful lot of people who are really too dumb to put two and two together on this program so I'll I'll allow you to describe what the Dodge Viper looked like Uh, the Dodge Viper was red and yellow Lee (laughs) Uh, the the body of it was pretty much all red and it had like um, yellow yellow wheels yellow yeah yeah uh, hubcaps and the like Um, so yeah red and yellow and as uh, Kevin Nash would later point out, uh, "It's it, it's red and yellow. Like who else is it gonna be?" Basically, um, it shows. Yeah, so the the it 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 doesn't show what happens. So like it's it's implied, but I don't think it's mentioned until next week that he was hit by the car, which is amazing considering how far away the car is. Yeah, there's a level of. Like, you, you don't know for a whole week whether he was hit by the car, whether he was beaten up by somebody who then sped away in the car. um, And, yeah, it's just in the parking lot outside the arena and the car does, like, some really exaggerated wheel spins and pulls away at speed as the fans kind of gawp on through the gate uh, at what's going on. Uh, Liz comes out to help him. Uh, the man, now known as the Disciple... <laughs> shows up uh with vincent uh, and they're trying to get the camera to stop recording uh one of them presumably the disciple yells not so macho now eh yeah i believe uh, vincent is uh, shouting into the camera saying this is nwo business while the disciple grabs elizabeth by the hair or the neck or something and just screams in her face he's not so macho now is he yeah um Um, do we do we need to talk about hogan's vehicular history we also well i'll let you talk about that but the first thing i need to point out is that i really think randy savage should not be left in car parks now (laughs) just the Uh, second time isn't it it's this it's the second time in about a month that he has been attacked in a car park (laughs) um so someone really should be looking into that but uh (laughs) pun intended run us down on uh hogan's vehicular history so there's this incident obviously Mm -hmm. uh when he returns to the wwe he runs through an ambulance with a 40-foot truck, or a semi-truck. With the rock in with it. With the rock in it, it, apparently, and he murders him for a week. Yeah. So, I mean, is it any wonder that Nick became such an awful driver? Oh, dear. <laughs> I my skirt around that one. Um, yeah. Um, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the one. That's the one that gets us gets us in trouble. Whoa! <laughs> God has laid some heavy shit on us here. Um, okay. 
But anyway, moving swiftly the fuck on. Um, <laughs> the commentators mentioned that accusations have been thrown around by Piper, Nash, who are seemingly the only two people in the company that aren't fucking stupid, that Hogan was behind it. Uh, Lee uh, Stagger Lee points out that not everyone can afford Dodge Viper, let alone one in the red. Uh, this is a, what he said in the red and gold colors of a Mister H Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> a little like, bit obvious that one, isn't it? <laughs> do you think you're talking in fucking code, mate? Oh dear. Um, you still we haven't had a match. That, <laughs> we go for yeah, but then we just go into a match, as you say. Um, Perry Saturn versus the debuting on Thunder, Tokyo Magnum. Um, Do you know the background was... on Tokyo Magnum? Tell me. His name is actually Magnum Tokyo. <laughs> That's perfect. I know he's a, he's an Ultimate Dragon student, isn't he? Yeah, he was in Torimon and Torimon Mexico and um, like the, the basically the early offshoot or well, the, the companies that led to Dragon Gate, basically. Hmm. Um but yes, his name is actually Magnum Tokyo, as you can see on his ring jacket and I believe his um, his ring gear. And they just reversed it here because WCW. Because WCW. I believe they thought, you know the way in Japan they say the last name first. and the, the family name yeah. first and the, yeah, the given name second. So they decided he was Tokyo Magnum. Good stuff. Which just sounds like it uh, basically condoms. Yes. <laughs> That's, there's, there's real no... There's no nothing else you can make a joke about there that is just that's just straight up what it sounds like I just hope you say um <laughs> um so yeah he's wrestling Perry Saturn here um and the the answers for the most part of the short match are too preoccupied and let you know what's coming up on the show uh that Goldberg is here we're gonna have Booker versus Jericho with uh Rick Steiner versus Kevin Nash main event um but one thing I really appreciate and I appreciate it in all the singles matches is that uh Perry Saturn is like you know, people talk about the intensity of Chris Benoit on these shows. My God, Perry Saturn is an intense man. Yeah, Jesus. Like, this match, he batters poor Magnum. <laughs> um, he just walk, like walks to the ring with a purpose and just suplex, uh, suplexes and kicks the fuck out of for, like, what, three minutes? Yeah, about three minutes. Um, he's just, like, he's just, he's just on him. You know, like, a lot of the heels when they are like beating up people or bullying people are like you know they'll kind of throw a guy and then they'll taunt or you know jeer at the crowd and stuff like that saturn is just like no i'm just gonna keep beating him um like zero downtime like oh yeah absolutely love it manhandling him throwing suplexes uh a weird finish though um he like he teases the rings of saturn twice and begs off and then just finally locks it in and taps him um like i guess the idea is to show like i can tap you out whenever i want like as if you know uh tokyo magnum here is his toy that he can kind of like push around at will but like i i don't know if that necessarily worked for me yeah no it was very strange because it's not like something they've been building up that he's um paranoid of people coming in behind him or yeah like just a bit weird um but the aftermath of this match was fucking great (laughs) oh my god it was so good uh, and immediately, like just like the last time these two people interacted, I, I lost my damn mind. Uh, Saturn wins the match and uh, hops on the microphone and immediately calls out Goldberg. I <laughs> oh jumped to my oh feet. My God. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and I was like, no, surely not. Surely not this early in the show. The Goldberg is here. All of a sudden, the crowd goes mental. Uh, 
the only person freaking out more than the crowd or me and Lee was Bobby Heenan, who like straight up nearly passed out. He was so excited. He was like just um, screaming names. He's like, "This is suicide! The Millennium Man! The Man! Goldberg!" Yeah. And he's just going mental, uh, getting them all in. <laughs> Uh, Goldberg gets in the ring he picks up Kidman just fucks him across the ring at Sick Boy who catches him and pretty much by the time he has caught Kidman stably he gets a spear yeah there was like zero time in between him catching Kidman and getting yeah. hit like the two of them are completely dead he turns around turns his attention to the giant awkward galoof that is Reese, uh, and he very awkwardly clotheslines him out of the ring but I'm not putting that on Bill Goldberg um and then it just as the segment ends, it shows Raven looking on in the crowd, who is sad about things. <laughs> you missed that uh, Van Hammer pulled Saturn out of the ring. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. And then they proceeded to fight all the way down the aisle. Yeah. Ah, oh, this is like this is a great segment to kick things yeah, off. Like, I gotta say, I, I I so want to see Saturn and Goldberg cook it up now. Oh man, so bad. And like this is it's such. Um, it's it's really such a like it's it's been so simple how they've yeah. built this match and I just really really want to see it. It's just like Goldberg is an unstoppable killing machine. Perry Saturn thinks he's the toughest guy in the world. What's this Bill Goldberg guy going to do to him? But the two times they've been in the same ring together, Perry Saturn has begged off. So like you know, like I, you, I, I think one thing we haven't given WCW enough credit for is that they've built everyone on the undercard so well. Yeah, it's certainly like it's kind of what's given us the motivation to keep going through these shows. It's like the early part of them, you're seeing, like even if you're only seeing someone for ninety seconds, two minutes, or something like that. There's a lot of guys on this undercard that are like there's development every single week. Like like Saturn had a TV title match what a month ago. Yeah. Two months ago, and he lost, but he lost nothing in losing. Yeah, and he hasn't like completely disappeared. No, and he just I mean? kept winning matches and winning matches, and now yeah. like I want to see Goldberg fucking murder him <laughs> to the point where you would forget that he had lost the title match. Where yeah. you're just like, no, Perry Saturn is a threat, you know. And I'm not saying it. It's not that it doesn't matter that he lost, but it only makes Booker look even better for winning. Yeah, it, it it doesn't make it not matter that he lost. Yeah, like you said, it makes Booker look good for winning, but it also makes the wins Perry accumulated afterwards more important because mm-hmm. it's like he has continued to win, so he has earned himself back to something like a shot at Goldberg's streak, um, which has become its, its own thing now. Like this is the I think this is the first time we've had a match properly teased for Goldberg uh, on the basis of is the streak going to be broken? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is awesome. Uh, our next match, we have Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono versus Prince Ikea, the flat pack sovereign himself. Um, an official martial Days of Thunder division. designated martial arts championship match. Um, for those of you who missed uh, a few weeks ago, we decided in a match. Was it between these two gentlemen? I believe it was, yes. Um, that... Uh, our martial arts division, which we often talk about on the show, would now have a linear martial arts championship. So uh, every match that uh, features the martial arts champion is now a martial arts division match. And whoever wins the match becomes the linear martial arts champion. So follow along with us, if you will. Um, one of my favorite things about Yuji Nagata in WCW is when Sonny Ono is with him and getting his weird selfies on the disposable cameras. Uh, <laughs> Nagata just completely stone facing. <laughs> A man of no emotion. 
I really hope those photos got developed and I hope there's somewhere I can buy them. It's going to be like, you remember the end of The Hangover where you see all the photos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, that's the end credits of the last episode of Thunder. It's just various pictures of uh, Sonny Ono's... Uh, Many charges. Managerial charges <laughs> uh, looking completely po-faced into the camera. <laughs> um, early on in this match, Prince Ikea. This is... this is. I, I'm, I'm sticking with this Prince Ikea. Oh, thing. yeah, for sure. I, it's been recommended to me that I stick with it, so I'm sticking with it. Um, you don't need to email it. Is Prince Ikea? Actually, no, we're going with Prince Ikea. He is the flat pack sovereign. Yep. Um, he hits the... Uh, this is about 30 seconds into the match, and Prince Ikea, he hits the worst goddamn poisoned rana I have ever seen in my life. And I go to a lot of independent shows, Lee. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say you've seen mm, wrestle, but I won't go there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 that is exactly who came to mind, Lee. But uh, I have seen a lot of people wrestle and poisoned rana is the new super kick uh, or the new Canadian destroyer. Everybody is fucking doing poisoned ranas in their matches. I've seen some bad ones. I have never seen one this bad, I, I do not think. I've never seen somebody nearly cripple themselves on a Poison Rana. He, like, half goes over and Yuji Nagata kind of doesn't know what's happening and just kind of keels over. Yeah, it, it's like... It, it definitely seems like it was a kind of, kind of on, you know, a plague on both their houses. It seems like it was a real miscommunication. Um, yeah. That it, one didn't know when the other was going or what spot it was. It almost looks like it, it ends up in, like, you know, like an electric teardrop where Nagata is the one yeah. actually doing it, but, like, God. Yeah, like a shoot electric chair. Yeah. Um, Ikea, Ikea nearly, like, kills himself. Yeah, and here's the thing, like, you know, God bless Yuji Nagata. Like, I think we, we both uh, have a soft spot over the years for Yuji Nagata um, between here and, and obviously his work in Japan. But he really doesn't have a lot to work with here, in all honesty. Uh, the match, uh, as short as it is, pretty much has two settings, and those are awkward and boring. Uh, if it isn't Prince Ikea trying kind of really awkwardly to do something, it's kind of just boring the two of them kind of rest holding around to figure out what to do next. Yeah, there, there's like two moments in this match. It's like Nagata hits a really good spin kick. Yeah. And then to follow it up, Ikea goes for an Inzagiri and misses by a mile. And that just kind of sums this match up. Yeah, and I don't recall their last match being this awkwardly bad, but they, like they really were just not on the same page tonight. Um, so yeah, at one point Prince rolls over uh, Nagata's back, uh, appears to hurt his knee trying to stick the landing. So you think that's going to play into things, but then like Doesn't he t- almost immediately stops selling. Um, which is like I know it's a thing that people say about you know WWE now, um, in particular. Um, and you know a lot on the indies as well where you know there'll be like the the middle third of a match will be all kind of limb work and then immediately when it's time to to get you know to to fire up and start the comeback Mm. we immediately stop selling the knee that had been obliterated for 20 minutes before but this is like maybe three seconds and he stops selling yeah it's like he he twists the knee kind of sells it a bit and then goes ah fuck it doesn't matter yeah (laughs) And at that point, I was thinking, okay, maybe he did like stick his knee a little bit and it was sore and he's just kind of soldiering on. But then it like sort of plays in again because so he he immediately stops selling, gets up into the top, hits a horrible axe handle on the outside to Sonny where he drops about a foot and a half short of him. Um, Nagata then tries to attack the knee. He hits like, does he hit a dragon Drag- screw? A lovely or? dragon screw, yeah. Lovely dragon screw. And um, so like obviously because of the knee thing and then the dragon screw the selling the knee was 
I'm assuming theoretically supposed to be worked into the match and Ikea just forgot yeah, to like fucking he, sell it. He, he goes from the dragon screw straight to the Nagato lock, which he doesn't get in, but like that's a leg submission. <laughs> yeah. And then uh Ikea kinda just recovers and hits the northern lights and wins. Um and thankfully, because I was just about to rule out this uh, the segment as being absolute crap, uh, our Lord and Saviour Chris Jericho is here. <laughs> uh, and he's on the mic, and he's here to argue that Prince Nakamaki is is not a real cruiserweight. He says that he is far too fat. Uh, that he saw him eating, was it? He was backstage, and he saw him at catering eating uh, was it ban- pizza, cheeseburgers, and pineapple surprise. Pineapple surprise, that's what it was. <laughs> And he says that he's demanding a weigh-in live in the centre of the ring uh, to prove that he is uh, up to the... What was the limit, he said? Uh, was it 225? Two, I think it was 225, yeah. Yeah, 225, because I know you're not 225 and you're definitely not... A, was it a svelte 224.5 yeah. like me? <laughs> That's exactly what it was, yeah. I and he, fucking he, love he calls Ikea so sa- saddlebags as well. So, yeah, calls them saddlebags. <laughs> but Prince Nakamaki, if we didn't already have Prince Ikea, Prince Nakamaki would be an absolute keeper. Um, we get a flashback then at this point to a few weeks ago on Thunder when Raven was kind of like uh, trying to get inside Mortis's head and talk him over onto the dark side. Uh, and much as there was crowd bleeding over in that segment live, so there was this time where in the middle of trying to listen to this very quiet backstage segment, you can hear people repeatedly yelling, Lodi sucks. <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, I did. You know, I'm, I'm not going to disagree. Um, he's also we injured go from, at this time as well, which is... He is indeed. Uh, he, it was two or three weeks ago, I think, he injured yeah, himself. Yeah, himself. And, and Psychosis had an incident on Hydro, apparently. That's right, that's right. Um, why uh, do you think they're dragging up this Raven Mortis thing, like, two months later? I, I don't think it's... Was it, I don't think it's two months. I think it was, like, a month, maybe. I think it was, like, bef- right before the last pay-per-view. Was it? Um, I, I, want, I don't... Yeah, because there was, like, the... They were doing the stuff with Rick Martell in the first month. I don't. It, it just seems a long time it, ago. <laughs> yeah, it, it all the flock stuff kind of just bleeds in um, together. Um, but anyway, um, I, like I, I don't know because we all know who Mortis is and his relationship with DDP. So like, I you know I like I, I can't remember where this goes. They, they, they or stopped, if it goes stopped and started basically. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, oh, we have free time this week. Oh, remember that thing we were doing? Let's do, you know, a flashback to that. Um, we go from flashback to flashback as we get uh, Nash on uh, Nitro. Nearly said Raw there for a second. Uh, Nash on Nitro accusing Hogan of, of attacking Savage. And this was his basically like um, Jacobin Magatu in Zoolander moment of I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here <laughs> where he's just like the dude was in a red and yellow car basically like stopping one step short of do you know anyone else pompous enough to get a Dodge Viper in their own colours yeah (laughs) it's just like Kevin Ash again coming across as the smartest guy in the room yeah um, and this is cool I think this is a couple of good weeks for Big Sexy and and his kind of development Mm -hmm. and, and his role and I'm actually interested in what he's doing at the moment um, and he's clearly like taking sides in this NWO leadership struggle as he is wearing uh, a Savage t-shirt as a mark of solidarity, much in the kind of 
uh, same way on a more kind of shoot level they were wearing their uh, their their six pack shirts mm. uh, around the time that the show started so it's that little bit of continuity in his character as well that like these are his brothers in arms and he's got their back against the maniacal fucking all consuming ego of Hogan uh, I like this I, I, I actually really do um, we then go straight back to flock nonsense as uh, Raven is in the ring to trash DDP again when all of a sudden this this segment went completely off the rails, Lee. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> a, a fan seemingly hops the rail and pulls Raven out of the ring by the fucking by his hair. hair. <laughs> yeah. And, Ra- and like, like Raven doesn't react to be fair to him. Like Yeah, like uh, you know, we've seen this happen on different wrestling shows and especially that generation of wrestler would be inclined to uh turn around and beat the holy shit out mm-hmm. of the dude and well within his rights to when that guy laid hands on him first. Um, but pretty much as soon as Raven gets dragged out, uh, the security team are like, have swarmed and jumped on the dude and Raven kind of just gets back in the ring and you almost like blink and you miss it. But, uh, the microphone is broken in this little scuffle. Uh, no, see, I, I think they killed it and they just to they, stop he- overhearing anything. Yeah. And basically they, they couldn't figure out how to turn it back on because of course it's WCW. <laughs> yeah that's that's also entirely possible he continues to try and cut a promo into the broken mic at first on camera so you can still kind of hear what's going on but then he st- he stands up i think assuming the mic is still on and kind of walks away from the camera and you can't really hear him and like right at the very end of the promo he gets a working microphone um but yeah the, I, I, I think the, segment the basic premise is that ddp was jealous of him and ddp was only a star because he lived next door to bischoff yeah, pretty much, that he picked his neighbours and they would have taken him, the kind of sentiment that it wouldn't have taken DDP much effort to look out for his friend Raven, and you know, but he was only looking out for himself yeah. kind of thing. Uh, we've got Tony Schiavone next, who I note is wearing real kind of old-timey sportscaster gear, uh, and he's interviewing a man who, over the next couple of shows, I really turn a corner on, and that's Buff Bagwell. <laughs> Are you a fan of the Buff, sir? I'll tell you what, Lee, I could... I, I could go without seeing him ever wrestle again, but if he just wants to come out every week, it'd be weird. I am absolutely down with it. The buff character at the moment, one of my favourite things. I think you're in for a tree for the next couple of years. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, buff feels that even though he is 5-1 and one against Lex, he hasn't got the respect he deserves. Uh, he says that he is the real total package. That's kind of the, the thrust of this interview. Um, but he's just being his goofy self as he's doing it. But that isn't the, the end of, of Buff on this program. We will we'll get back to him later. Um, our, our next match pits uh, Conan, who is accompanied by both Vincent and Cocaine, <laughs> uh, versus Chris Benoit. <laughs> What the hell has gotten into Conan during this entrance? This is like him getting to the ring for this match is more energy than he has exerted in the six or seven matches we have seen of him so far. All I can say is, kids, just say no. Just yeah, just say no. <laughs> Thunder is my anti-drug. Uh, yeah, no, Conan, Conan is hyped up for this one, to say the least. I think maybe Benoit gave him a little fucking talk in the back. And just said, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't be you yourself. Sandbag me, you fucker. <laughs> um, what do you think of yeah, uh, so Benoit coming out in his Calgary Hitman jersey? This was, a, yeah, this was, um, there was, was there three people who came out in this jersey on the Jer- show? Him, Jericho came out in a white one, and uh, yeah, Benoit Brett. and Brett came out in the black one, I think. Yeah, did they win the Stanley Cup this year? Did they? 
I, I'm just I, that's the only thing I'm like. are they an actual real team I thought they were weren't they I thought like they a, were like a, oh not, not a, a, sorry a not a proper team, like. yeah they're like a junior team they're not they wouldn't be the Stanley Cup sorry this is my they are an actual team I know that um, like isn't the, this is uh, probably research I, sh- I should have done I don't know like it, the they were Ed- definitely Edmonton around Oilers or something like this is that not the fucking hockey team up there they're the yeah they're the proper they're the actual NHL team um, they are uh, yeah they're a junior ice hockey team that's what I thought but a, but a major one um, da, 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 da. I'm, I'm looking this up just because I am I'm very very interested in this but the jersey is really cool it's really nice yeah <laughs> It's actually I was kind of just like, hmm. Um, but the the story of this um, the story of this match is basically, and it, and it is very brief again, as all Conan matches should be, is uh, Benoit is attempting to fight off Vincent to get him the fuck away from him, mm-hmm. um, and every time he does it, he's getting caught out by Conan, but not for long enough for Conan to actually take advantage of it. Yeah, and they basically. Talk about Benoit um, and Booker having two time limit draws on the past two Nitros. Mm. Which is, is was that the first time that was mentioned? Yeah, because they didn't definitely didn't mention it on the last show. Yeah. Excuse me. But yeah, um, so like, even if it is in Mirbor Conan, they are like Benoit is being put over pretty huge, and even though he's like at least temporarily out of the U.S. title picture for this month, uh, you're getting. Um, as we said, more development of an undercard guy. Um, I, I will say when Benoit first went for the crossface, like all the fans on the hard camera side, like were up on their feet, like me- mm. mega pop for. This is another thing as well that I noticed across these two shows is just that my god, especially when you compare it to like watching wrestling in twenty nineteen on television, the hot crowds. The, the crowds are just molten hot yeah. in these towns. My god, like it's amazing. Um, as you said, they they indicated that because of the the two time limit draws on uh, previous nitros, uh, Tony had been handed a note by the executive committee saying that the stipulation for his match with Booker at the pay per view will be no time limit. Um, yes, he went for that first cross face, but at the second time of trying, he gets the cross face. And one of my uh, my favorite little things in wrestling, and I know it is one of the favorite things of friend of the show, Jamesy, as well, is that as soon as you're locked in the devastating submission hold, you tap straight away. Yeah, you're not you're not breaking over. Yeah, it's it's cool. Like I I know, and I have enjoyed in the past some like long struggle spots in uh in the right match. I think, I think know, it's way should... overdone now, though. Yeah, it shouldn't be every match, but like periodically, I really like it. Um, I I remember back in the day, I loved the Jericho passing out in the crossface. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Austin passing out in the sharpshooter. Um, one that I could think of that didn't end up in somebody passing out was the the epic ankle lock struggle. Um, Sean and Kurt at WrestleMania. Yeah, the first time you had to uh, grapevine the leg. Yeah, one of like my all-time favorite WWE matches. Um, but yeah, I love when, especially if it's a TV match. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as the devastating fit, like it, it keeps the move scary. Uh, it just it tells you that either it's so immediately painful that there's no other option but to tap out, or uh, that people are so afraid of it that out of self-preservation they're tapping straight away lest their arm be ripped from their shoulder. Yeah, like the like that uh, the one thing I love like you know when there's the immediate struggle oh I have to get the rope straight away and then once 
the the hold is locked in. That's it. It's done. Yeah, the blind panic. Yeah, the the panic to get to the ropes, and then once it's bang in, it's over. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we have a, a brief clip of Hogan who uh, is saying from from Nitro that he's he's confident that Savage is going to win the belt and fall back in line. Or, or was that what he said? I don't know. I kind of skipped over that. <laughs> yeah. So you know, Savage or that like because he's doing this thing where he knows the belt. He's like the belt belongs to me. Nobody else deserves a shot mm-hmm. at it, uh, which he particularly hits heavy on next week. Um, but he's confident that the NWO are all going to fall back in line behind him anyway. Uh, the next segment is absolutely gas because we start off with Tanae coming out for commentary and this leads into uh, the daunting task of having to watch Kurt Hennig versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, as soon as Mike Tanae has come out, Rick Rude is out and kicks Tanae straight off. <laughs> he basically tells him to get lost. <laughs> yeah, Tanae barely even had a cup of coffee at his uh, at the commentary desk. Uh, kicks him off immediately. Uh <laughs> One thing I really love about the, apart from their uh, their dermatology related promos uh, about the the bromance between Hennig and Rude is just like these two guys. They are su- such boosters and cheerleaders for each other, and they have each other's backs that I love it. It reminds me very much of uh, kind of a topical thing I, I I've seen twice since it came out last week. Once upon a time in Hollywood, the new Tarantino oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, no spoilers, but like the relationship between uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters in that, that like, you know, at one point of the film, they're referred to as like more than brothers and little less than a wife. Um, and that is kind of like how it is. It's just like they've really just got each other's backs and they're just best of pals. Because like early on in this match, uh, Kurt Hennig hits a knee lift. And as soon as he hits it rude, just so casually, he's like, oh, best knee lift in the sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and like it, it is that casual. It's just like that's the best. And he listened to sport, and Shivani's yeah. like nobody's doubting it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's it's like he would be saying that to himself if there wasn't a microphone on him. It's just he's so in awe of his buddy Kurt. He, it's, he it, loves it's, his pal. It's heartwarming, really. Um, Hennig takes control of this match, uh, but gets a bit too cocky, and he's posing on the rope, but doesn't see that Duggan is fired up behind him. Uh, Rude attempts to uh, tamp down the the fear that he's going to get caught here by saying, "Ah, he's just luring him in." <laughs> I I love that he says, uh, "Hacksaw looks like he's had a diet of whale blubber for the last ten years." Yeah. Uh, as soon as it looks like Kurt might be in trouble here with a resurgent Jim Duggan. Uh, Rude runs down to the ring, handcuffs Duggan to the rope, and they just put a whipping on him, and it's a DQ. Um, the thing about this, so like I said, I was loving the bromance. Uh, I wasn't wild about this matchup between these two guys, but you know they're clearly trying to do something, but not a lot with Kurt Hennig. It's like they—he's one of those guys in the middle that don't really know where to point him at, long term. Um, but for me, as the fan watching at home, I'm thinking. If Kurt Hennig can't beat Jim Duggan clean, what does that say about him and where he is on the ladder here? You know? See, I never thought of it that way. I just thought of it like Rude saw his pal in a little bit of trouble and decided, fuck this, let's just go put a whipping on someone. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could you could spin it that way. I was kind of just like, man, we can't even get like a clean finish in a fucking Kurt Hennig, Jim Tuggan match. And then, of course, just to further on this story that won't end, Davy Boy and uh, Big Jim Neidhart come out here. Uh, uh, we get uh, Bulldog and Henning at Spring Stampede, apparently. Yeah. Um, 
God, I, I could, couldn't <laughs> tune in quick enough for that. I don't know. Kenning's still good. Yeah, look, I like Kurt Hennig. I, I, I like him a lot. And like I said, I love this partnership. Uh, he's got this bromance with Brood, but like, Jesus, the other two lads. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, uh, then we get a uh, flashback to Nitro again, and this is Kevin Nash uh, claiming that he's going to put the world title around his sexy waist. It is a very sexy waist. This is... There's something that cracks me up and it happens multiple times on this show um, and it's happened multiple times before and I'm sure it will happen multiple times in the future when he's in the middle of a serious promo and refers to himself as sexy or big sexy it really kind of like breaks the suspension of disbelief you know it's it's kind of like you could imagine a very serious man. I gotta kick the shit out of you, but I am very sexy when I do it. <laughs> but this man is also seven foot tall, so I mean, are you, are Look, you gonna I tell me? I'm disagreeing not? about the sexiness. <laughs> um, Next, what, what, we have a uh, matchup for the ages. Hang on, I was just thing. gonna say, what do you think of the snippets? All these little snippets from Nitro that we're seeing. So this is a thing that uh, I have started to notice more and more is the kind of like almost every segment is like bookended by flashbacks and it's more egregious than the next show as we'll talk about. Mm. But um, I, I'm kind of of two minds about it. I, I don't know how you feel where I like that we're being filled in on what has happened and not left to fill in the fucking gaps for ourselves uh, on some of this stuff. But at the same time, it, it does come off as very B-show feeling. I, I don't feel like if I had tuned into Nitro, there'd be this many flashbacks to what happened on Thunder. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It's like, I'm glad we're getting filled in on what's happening, but it also does feel very recap-heavy. It's it, it's like... yeah, It's a hard balance to find, I know, but it's like... Uh, maybe you don't need it, at, like you say, at the end of every match or every segment. Yeah, it, like there is, there's an art to it, I guess, um, and it certainly seems to be a bit on the the egregious side mm. uh, at the moment. But I like, I'd rather loads of flashbacks cluing us in as much as possible to none, especially as we're kind of closing in towards the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. Anyway, moving on. As I said, a matchup for the ages up next as we have Lex Luger versus Glacier. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, when Lex comes out and he's looking down the lens of the camera, I yeah. get the feeling he's looking into our souls. Yeah. This is, I'll tell you what, so I'm about, uh, I am just about to turn nine around this time. And eight, nearly nine-year-old me for this matchup of humanity would be losing my mind. <laughs> this is classic, like when people say, oh, you know, wrestling is like superheroes fighting. It's like, you've got a man who looks like he's cut from marble in, in Lex Luger and a man oh, straight out of barely, le- yeah, barely legally distinct from Sub-Zero yeah. in the Glacier. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, this is cool. And I love Glacier, you know, kind of like half ironically and half not. Because, like, the character is very silly, and I love that ironically. But, like, I've also seen matches in him where I'm like, fuck yeah, Glacier. You know the way people say that Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, was Vince McMahon's idea of him as a wrestler? Yeah. Glacier is very much Eric Bischoff 
his vision of himself uh, as a wrestler, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, the the martial artist. Yeah. That's for sure. But like, I think Glacier. Like, I'm not saying he's a fucking. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he's he's Bret Hart or Ric Flair or anything like that. But what I am saying is, I think he's one of these guys that gets lumped in with like a list of horrendous wrestlers, and he actually wasn't as half as horrendous as I think time has made us think he was. Like, so you're saying he should have been world champion? Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Like. I'm saying he should have been in the Four Horsemen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but I, I think like, it, like. You know, the gimmick is extremely silly, but I don't think he would be... Like, if I were to rank the the wrestlers in WCW um, from best to most horrendous, I don't think he's anywhere near the relegation zone at the bottom. Oh, like, he, he, he's not like your Rick Fullers or your Reese or, you know, fucking Jim yeah. Powers or anybody like that. I think there's a like there's a spot for him here in very limited engagements, you know. I'm, I'm sure like um, he, he could easily pick up wins on Saturday night and then, yeah, kind of drop her to the stars, which is basically what he is. Yeah, yeah. Saturday night superstar. I'm all for it. Uh, pretty much as soon as they lock up in this match, uh, we get the real highlight of the match as uh, <laughs> the camera cuts to Buff just reclining on the stage as if he's about to go for a nap. Really loudly calling Lex stupid. This is absolutely fantastic. Buff is a great man. He is a great, great man. Um, Glacier here putting a beating on Lex early, throwing some fucking head kicks. Yeah, not what you expect to see in a Lex Luger match, is it? <laughs> no, especially like in the opener of a Lex Luger TV match. It's like, yeah, man, take take me to town with those head kicks. Uh, Lex fires up after Glacier takes too long to come off the top rope uh, and like this is I, I tweeted this out at the time it's like Lex signals that he's going to get him up for the torture rack and the reaction from this Tallahassee crowd is louder than almost any TV crowd I have seen for WWE in I don't know how long about a decade probably <laughs> like absolutely since maybe like the height of Daniel Bryan um, or like you know maybe during that Kofi run mm. last year or something like that but like this is just him signalling for like a slightly naff wrestler who is you know quite over uh, signalling for his finish on a TV match that's a couple of minutes long um, and, and they absolutely lose their mind for a torture rack and Glacier the pro almost immediately taps out yeah no it's, I um, thought this, this was exactly what it needed to be yeah, if it was any longer, it would have been horrendous. I, I also loved uh, Glacier took the Rikishi bump off a clothesline. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. The the, the inside out arse over to yeah. the kettle bump. Good Brilliant stuff. stuff. Um, what do we got here next? Oh, a uh, shite Hogan promo uh, about how they're going to beat Piper and Giant and how him and Nash are buddies. And like he is the only one in this entire company that's insisting nothing is wrong with him and Nash. Um, but... Not on the kind of like upper echelon of hilarious Hollywood promos, I have to no. say, kind of just shite. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Kidman with Reese versus Psychosis. Uh, early on in this match, Psychosis hits a tope con hilo that is miscalled repeatedly as a tope suicida and nearly fucking kills himself. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier on about um, IKEA nearly. Like crowning himself basically on a, a reverse Rana. <laughs> Psychosis on this Tope on Hilo, he does not rotate till the very last second. It is fucking terrifying. 
and drops like a maybe a half foot short of Kidman who like readjusts as readjusts as best he yeah, can. Yeah, like I think Kidman saved him like from a serious serious in- injury. Um it was it yeah. was almost reminiscent of Taker at WrestleMania 25. Yeah, yeah, the 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 sim snooker out mm-hmm. of position Taker Where dive. Taker just sank to the ground like it was similar to that like where you just like you're praying for psychosis to fucking rotate like fully. Yeah. Um, when they get back in the ring, Kidman is on the offensive, but it's largely kind of back and forth mm-hmm. here. Uncle Jericho just wanders out to distract the ref. Uh, Very nonsensical. He's there. <laughs> yeah, it's like it has nothing to do with it, but he's there with the scale, pointing out that now is the time he's decided to do the weigh-in, seemingly. Uh, the match kind of just continues until La Parca just shows up and waffles Sikosis in the arse. <laughs> uh, he falls off the top rope uh, after being hit with the chair. Uh, and Kidman hits the best shooting star press he's hit so far on Thunder that's in the ring. That one to the outside is still the best, but uh, of the ones he hits in the ring, this is by far the mm-hmm. best one. He gets actually good height on it, um, but hits it to his back and, and pins him for the win. Uh, one thing that kind of, like, apart from the Jericho thing that was nonsensical uh, about this, Lee, I was just thinking, if someone was to hit me with a steel chair... There's probably nowhere I would rather take the chair shot than on the arse. That would feel like the easiest place to take a shoot steel chair shot. Yeah, I mean, it's not really going to hurt, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's like meat. You're not going to get a fucking concussion from being hit with a chair in the arse unless you're doing it really wrong. <laughs> um, so, like, this would be a great, like, a great... A great spot would be for him to do the chair to the arse of like a heavier man and him to completely no sell it. Like, you know, that old timey wrestling spot of like hitting a woman with a low blow and she no sells yeah. it. Which I think Tessa Blanchard just did on, on Impact recently. Because of course they did. Yeah. Um But yeah, so uh that was just my kind of wondering in this. But thankfully then Jericho continues. And this is great. Like Jericho is all over this show and I am happy mm-hmm. for it. Uh, he has a scale in the ring and <laughs> he's there with the man he immediately refers to as Skiavone, uh in Tony Schiavone and someone's Prince Ikea or Nakamaki as he calls him. He also calls uh, him Fatboy. He also calls him Fatboy. <laughs> he, um, I think that I find bizarre about this is that why is Prince Ikea willing to take, play, take part in this farce? Because he's a dumb baby face. What dumb baby yeah, faces it, do? It really is the dumb baby face trope because like Jericho isn't like the WCW executive committee. Like you don't have to weigh in for Chris Jericho. And it's not even a proper like, you know, I thought it'd be like a, you know, Crash Holly, Hardcore Holly type scales. No, <laughs> it's, it's just like a bathroom scales, scales. fucking home or uh, Bed Bath and Beyond or whatever. Like. Yeah, it actually is a bit smaller than just the bathroom scales as well. Well, um, he stands on it, weighs in at 218, and Jericho freaks the fuck <laughs> out, belts him around the head with the scale, and puts him in the lion tamer. <laughs> As this segment ends, brain with my favourite brain line of the night, where he just kind of mumbles, and if there's that left of him, we'll weigh it. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love the brain. Next segment, we have uh, your favorite wrestler, the Disco Inferno versus White Thunder and uh, Buff Bagwell. Excuse me, excuse me. Um, he is now trying his name to Big Papa Pump. White Thunder, Scott Steiner is here. <laughs> <laughs> Buff Bagwell. Um, which, which one do you think is more of a maggot chud, Disco or Scott? Well, I mean, with it, look, if he was still White Thunder, it would be Scott, absolutely. <laughs> um. But it's a much closer race now that he's rebranded. 
Well, you'll always be white thunder to me, sir. Um, they are inexplicably carrying a trophy that they explain off mic as they're entering that Scott won for having big arms. Oh, is that why they had the trophy? Yeah. Um, we are now officially in the Big Papa Pump era. This is uh, this is the first time I think he's mm-hmm. referred properly as Big Papa Pump on this show. And um, he still can't, and again, still can't do it too sweet. Still can't do it too sweet. And again, this is another one of those moments where it is amazing that he is still in this gimmick 21 years later across several companies. Multiple promotions. Like I, WWA, I TNA. I, like I... <laughs> As I said before, I remember him turning on Rick. I don't. I I don't remember exactly everything about him becoming this big Papa Pump character. But I imagine if I was an adult back in 1998 and I heard about the big Papa Pump thing, I'd be like, "That'll never fucking last." <laughs> it's like the Undertaker thing. Nobody expected it to last as long as it has. Yeah, the spooky zombie wizard guy. Now um, you have the pumped up muscle guy with blonde uh, half blonde goatee. <laughs> Uh, here's an observation I made in this match. So we've got Disco versus Scott Steiner with Buff on the side. Uh, if you had told me in this segment, Lee, uh, in 1998, if you had time traveled and told young me that two of these men would still be active wrestlers to some extent in 2019 and the other one would be a professional gigolo, I would not have believed you apart from the gigolo <laughs> bit, which would, I would absolutely believe about any of the three men in that ring. <laughs> I would say yeah all three of them should be gigolos to be honest I don't know about it should be but if you told me any of the three of them were I would absolutely believe it yeah definitely a career choice anyway yeah it's uh, look you know oldest profession and all that um, match starts and Scott takes Disco down very quickly and just puts a whooping on this boy elbows to the back of the head like fucking hell yeah, but and this is one of my favorite things is that like Scott is winning this match handily, and Buff is still getting a few shots in from the outside on him while he's hung up in the ropes. Um, poor, poor Disco. Scott, after like a minute or two, uh, Scott gets bored of toying with him, and after a little bit of a fire up, the teams to just piss off Scott more than anything else. He just locks him in the recliner and taps him out. Yeah, a very quick, very quick um, match, and again like. It's a team on the show. Like the matches that aren't overstaying are welcome. They're not incredibly short, but they're like mm. getting the point across that these guys are the stars. These are the ones to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It just it just keeps things ticking over mm-hmm. nicely on this undercard. And uh, next up, speaking of keeping things ticking over, uh, we have Jericho versus Booker for the TV title. Uh, three Jericho segments on one show. We are truly spoiled. <laughs> blessed. Blessed we are. Ble- blessed indeed. I guess they're blessed. They are. Uh, a sign in the crowd uh, saying buff me Bagwell which is both confusing syntactically and upside down um, <laughs> as Booker is coming out I know that there were some bit just painfully white people raising the roof for this and I speak as a man who would disappear in a snowstorm myself uh, so yeah that was... yeah some very Napoleon dynamite looking motherfuckers yeah yeah uh, I was <laughs> I was kind of at this point in the show uh, zoning out a little from a phenomenon that I would like to hereby coin thunder fatigue. <laughs> that point where you're watching the show but your brain kind of dissociates and starts walking around outside your body. I, um, I have a point like that on the next show. <laughs> yeah. Um, when all of a sudden Booker absolutely fucking cleans Jericho's clock with a lariat. Yes, yeah, Jesus. He fucking murders him. 
I flew out of the chair. It was amazing. And then he hits a snug hook kick, which Osprey would be jealous of. Uh, and then a super stiff clothesline to the outside. Mm. And I am absolutely fired up at this point. I love the him. Before the match starts, I think it's as Booker's making his entrance. Heenan says, don't get smart with this guy. Otherwise, you'll be eating soup for a week. Yeah. <laughs> and look, looking at some of the kicks and clotheslines in this match, he's not wrong. But it's one of the, it is one of the the kind of like, it, it gets me still every time this idea that like, oh, maybe a crowd is lulling or something like that. Let's do something incredibly impactful or incredibly stiff and wake them yeah. the fuck up. Uh, I didn't watch it, but I saw the gif uh, from, as we're recording this, this past week on Raw, where like the uh, Cesaro-Joe uh, King of the Ring match opens with Cesaro sprinting across the ring and just uppercut like a, like a shoot fucking uppercut into Joe's jaw and he collapses into the ropes I haven't seen that but that sounds fucking awesome oh my, <laughs> oh my god he just like proper wellies him with an uppercut and it's like that's a way to start a match and put hairs in your chest for fuck's sake that's amazing <laughs> Um, where are we here yes Uh, so yeah stiff clothes on to the outside this is awesome Jericho gets pissed that he's not winning the match anymore lays in a few punches and hangs Booker up on the ropes to take control Uh, but of course, as is the, the Jericho character, like when he's losing, he's throwing tantrums and when he's winning, he's the cockiest, best wrestler in the world. He gets too cocky taunting, goes for the lion salt, misses. Booker hits an enormous spine buster uh, that hurt my back. Um, Axe kick, funnily enough, uh, like uh, he hits the axe kick as a like transitional move into some of his more impactful moves. Um, which is funny considering how the, the axic would end up in his repertoire as a as a more devastating part of it later yeah, on. Yeah, no, I was uh, going to say, like, if you watch Booker, like, he has these kind of build-up moves. Like, he has the, the spine buster, the axe kick, the yeah. Harlem side kick, and they all lead to and his then, big finish. Um, the missile yeah, kick. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like literally pretty much the like you flip that order of moves around and that's the way it would end up mm-hmm. being for most of his career um so yeah he hits the the axe kick spinneroni uh hits the harlem sidekick or the crescent kick uh <laughs> and then as he goes to hit the missile drop kick jericho kind of drags the ref into the way so he hits the ref gets dq'd um uh, next segment tony says that uh after teasing since nitro the flare would be here he uh he is not because of tornadoes yeah that's fucking bad <laughs> yeah um out comes uh bischoff and white thunder uh he says tony is lying about why flair isn't here he says flair looks in the mirror every morning wondering why he isn't hulk hogan uh says he's standing there with a man who won the nuclear arms race so you know there you go that's that's me told on history <laughs> um sc- uh, Scott gets on the mic says Flair isn't here because he's scared of him Double A comes out to defend Rick's honour says Rick isn't here for all the wrong reasons uh, these are the kind of arenas that Rick left pieces of himself in that he stands for wrestling uh, at this point Lex comes out and just kind of launches himself at Scott Steiner uh, yeah like he, and... he says nothing he just goes straight for Scott Steiner <laughs> yeah and then uh, Rick Steiner comes out and instead of going for his brother that like this whole feud has been built up he grabs Bischoff and suplexes him on the floor which I very much enjoyed anyway. deserved. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and now we have time for our main event it's uh, Big Sexy the Giant Killer Kevin Nash himself versus Rick Steiner so Rick Steiner uh, went backstage during the break put on his jacket 
put on his dog collar, grabbed DiBiase, and then made an entrance again. What a pro. Always be ready, man. Always be ready to go. <laughs> uh, much as I'm enjoying like the little subtle notes of Kevin Nash's character, I think the character on the whole is kind of like it's a little bit strange. A little bit that kind of shades of grey that would eventually make us sick at WCW because like he clearly the Kevin Nash the man clearly wants to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Joe, you know, he wants to get cheered by the crowd, but he also really wants to be the cool bad guy. Yeah, it's it's kind you of know? very wishy washy, like he jumps between both at yeah. like at this specific time. Yeah. And like when it works, it works. Like earlier on the the promo they showed from Nitro and some of the stuff he does next week on Thunder. Like when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it just feels like this weird kind of discordant well from one minute to the next which character yeah. is he sort of thing. Um like we have him he's teasing turning on Hogan throughout the show, but here at the start of the match he gets on the mic and tells Rick that he was the one who talked Scott into the NWO. So, like, you know, it's, you know, which is it going to be? Please, like, settle on one or the other. Um, Speaking of the NWO, the B team are out to surround the ring, making this an inadvertent uh, lumberjack match. Uh, Steiner fights back against Nash. Uh, As soon as he hits his his top rope bulldog, which, by the way, is probably the biggest bump Nash has taken on this entire run we've been doing so far. Like, he spikes him. He proper sells the shit out of it. Yeah, he fucking spikes him on the bulldog absolutely went for it uh, as soon as he hits him with the bulldog and goes for the cover Conan is on him mm-hmm. for the DQ uh, Doug Dillinger's posse is out to fight the NWO and here comes the giant as Thunder goes off the air a large man appears yeah he just kind of strolls out with DiBiase and the show ends yeah kind of like a little bit of a oh it's it's just over very strange <laughs> like I do you know what I mean? I could picture, you know, somebody in 1998 going, oh, the main event's about to start. I'll go to the fridge and I'll get a cold brew and sit down. And by the time they've gone out to the kitchen, gone to the fridge, open the bottle of beer and come back in, the show is mm. over. Uh, it's very, very quick altogether. But that is kind of like, um, more often than not, that seems to be the case with main events on this show is that they're just, <laughs> that it's like, run out of time, we got to fucking finish. Um, yeah, that's the end of episode 13 of Thunder. Leave. what do you think of this one? Yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the show. It went by much quicker than a few of them have of late, I think. Yeah, no, like, it felt like a full show, if that makes sense. Like, everything kind of flowed properly. Um, It it made a lot of sense. Like, I know we were saying, like, we got a lot of recaps, and it can feel a bit recap-heavy, but it kind of also helped the episode. Mm. Um, Before we get into the the winners and losers, I have a new uh, feature to premiere. And I will get better. I, my my estimates may be slightly off for these first couple of shows, but I'm going to start doing it as we go going forward. Um, so I, I will get better at this. But uh, I'd like to call this feature, uh, Lee, the Dave Ryan patented WCW Thunder non-finish bullshitometer. Okay. <laughs> and that is where on uh, every episode of Thunder or every pay-per-view, I'm going to tally the number of matches and how many of them finished clean. Uh, and not and uh, the results I imagine will be surprising and infuriating as time goes on Uh, by my count on this program Lee there were nine matches and uh, surprisingly the majority of them ended clean uh, by my count unless I finish them a narrow margin I will say five matches clean three DQs and one weapon shot that led directly to a finish okay so yeah yeah because this was a thing where I'm just like I'm already starting to tire 
DQs. fuck yeah. finishes. And it's something I spoke about on the program before where we berate WWE now for doing that. But I have always had this greater sense of this phenomenon has been going on a lot longer than people give it credit for. Where, you know, bookers book themselves into a corner where they don't want to beat one or the other. So they just go, ah, fuck it, DQ. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely not a new phenomenon. And mm. I think if you are watching a lot of old wrestling, which we obviously are, it can yeah. get a bit, uh, a bit like, yeah, you get that kind of sense. You, you know what matches and then you're going, oh, that's not going to have a clean finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, give me your winners and your losers on this program. Oh, there's so. one very, very clear winner on this show, and that's Chris Jericho. Go for it. Oh, yeah. All over the program again. I think it was four segments, was it? Three segments? Uh, it was three and a half, kind of. There was one that went over a, a commercial break, I think. And he is just far and away, like, the very best character on this show. He can, like, eat up screen time, and I never notice the time pass. I'm just absolutely fucking enjoying every second he's on there. He's Um, making Prince Ikea interesting. Yeah. I I was just talking about how um, I was talking to a friend of the show, DZ, last Mm. night, uh, who was looking for some WCW wrecks, and I was just kind of explaining that, like, you know, everything during this period has the classic WCW combo of uh, some really good stuff and some really fucking bad stuff. Um, but the thing about this kind of like, you know, latter period 97 to mid-1999 period that's great is that you pick a major show and Chris Jericho is on it doing something goofy. So, like, there's definitely going to be at least one segment that warms your heart. There's going to be entertainment value in no matter what you watch, like. Yeah. And that is like, you know, we'll harp on it more and more, I'm sure. But like how they could not see the forest for the trees and see what a fucking megastar this guy was when he was there um, is one of like the all time mm-hmm. failings. And Jesus Christ, in fairness, like he jumped ship and it took WWF fucking long enough to realize how good he was as well um, before giving him a proper like lengthy main event run. Um, but that's a whole other political minefield that you went into. Yeah, indeed. Um, I would definitely concur on on Jericho uh, being one of the winners. Um, I would also add maybe Kevin Nash to that, like a nice bit of kind of characterization of how he fits into the greater power struggle in in the NWO on this show, I think. Yeah, no, he's Um, very much inserted inserted himself into the the middle of it all between Savage and Hogan. Yeah, and I'd also add uh, Perry Saturn to that list. Yeah, that's fair. You know, as a man who's like intensity he has made me believe even though I know for a fact he doesn't that he has a chance <laughs> at like causing Goldberg some damage um, so like that you know you gotta respect the hell out of that mm-hmm. shit who has lost WCW Thunder for you this week uh, this one was a bit tough I'd, I'd have to say Magnum Tokyo just because they got his name backwards and he just got treated like an absolute jobber yeah um yeah, because I can't even, like, normally our traditional thing is just put Conan on that list, <laughs> but, uh, like, Conan, out of probably fear for his own safety, actually showed up this week, um, so we can't bury him too deep for that. Yeah. Well, I think we'll leave it at that for episode 13 of Days of Thunder. Uh, thank you all for, for keeping uh, keeping in touch with us uh, at WCW Thunder Pod on Twitter. We love having the conversation going on in there. Um, Pro Wrestling Only 
com. check it out um check out the the forums where lee posts the show we also post on is it uh the wcw subreddit wcw subreddit we uh, post on pwo forums and the vow forums yeah so lee posts a show there and you know we'd we'd like to whatever channel is best for you to engage with uh days of thunder we like hearing it we got a couple of uh wrestling da stables sent to mm-hmm. us over the last couple of weeks that have given me a few chuckles um so if you want to keep sending in your stable of wrestling dads i would appreciate oh appreciate that if you if you want to show us uh where the wwe network will work we'd appreciate that also be sure to check out the most recent episode of music of the mat on the voice of the wrestling podcast network because i was the guest on the show well hey yeah do i will be checking that out after the after our recording uh that's for sure so for another two weeks um we shall leave you at this particular juncture on on thunder road rest up rehydrate because in two weeks we will go again on the run to spring stampede i can see through the scars inside you i can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart i can see through the scars inside you